Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 213. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome John Rennie. John is a business leader, best-selling author, speaker, and a podcaster. He's a co-founder, president, and CEO of Peak Demand, Inc., a manufacturer of critical components for electrical utilities. He's a former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments during the end of the Cold War. Prior to starting Peak Demand, he led eight manufacturing businesses for three global companies, He's the author of three best-selling leadership books, I Have the Watch, All in the Same Boat, and You Have the Watch, and he's a host of the Deep Leadership Podcast. John, welcome to the program. Thanks, Harlan. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So uh, did you know from an early age that you wanted to be in the Navy, especially on submarines, or is that something that kind of just happened? No, actually, I'm one of those uh, strange uh, individuals that had a childhood dream and actually did it. So, you know how you hear the stories of people who want to be a police officer, a firefighter, an astronaut, and then, you know, kind of you grow up and you kind of get out of that. Uh, That was not me. I I fell in love with the idea of of submarine warfare and, you know, um, just listening to it and hearing and reading about the stories of World War II uh, submarine crews and how they kind of held the line after Pearl Harbor. And I just said, that seems to be the coolest job in the world. And of course, back then we had the Cold War, we had the Soviets and the U.S. And and uh, that that seemed like this cat and mouse game Absolutely. that I wanted to be part of. So yeah, it was a childhood dream that that uh, actually became a reality. It was a lot of work, hard work to get there, but um, certainly it was um, something I wanted to do uh, from from a young age. Nice. Yeah. Like you said, it you want to be a cop, you want to be a, for a long, I was a, an altar boy, I wanted to be a priest for a while, then I, I met girls, and I, that kind of changed, you know, so I know, right. yeah, changes happen, but to find somebody who says, yeah, that's what I've always wanted, that's awesome, very yeah. cool, good stuff, all right, I want to come back and talk about how you got your start, how you got uh, in the Navy, some of the things you did, how that's prepared you for the work that you're doing now, we'll mm-hmm. talk about your books and all that stuff, um, but before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask each one of my guests, Okay. Um, listeners know these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly <laughs> good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, John, 10 questions for you. Okay. First question, what is your favorite word? Uh, word? Uh, grit. Grit. Okay. Mm. What is your least favorite word? Uh, can't with you. What turns you on? Mm, seeing people get it. The light bulbs come on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. What turns you off? 
Uh, a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, my lighter on a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's right. <laughs> okay. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, excessive barking by my dogs when they're having a conversation with the neighbor's dogs. Exactly. <laughs> nuclear proliferation or whatever they're talking about. Right, yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> um, question seven, what is your favorite curse word? Um, I, 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 well, as a sailor, the F word was used as uh, nouns, adverbs, adjectives. So that one kind of get comes back every once in a while. <laughs> Almost like a comma. Yeah, right. It's in there. Okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would like to teach at a university level. Nice. Yeah. Any specific subject? Uh, leadership. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Definitely needed. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, yeah, probably um, anything dealing with medical where there's blood involved. I'm not, that's not me. So yeah. I want to avoid any signs of blood. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ah, that he knows who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, for me, it'll probably be uh, the other line is over there. So, uh, <laughs> But that's good. All right. So, John, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, how you got started um, You in the Navy, what it's like being on a submarine during all that, the lessons you learned, how you're applying those, who you're working with, how you're helping them now, and a bunch of other stuff. All right. And at some point, we'll talk about courage and leadership. So, Sounds good. Listeners, we're going to talk about all that and more right after this, so stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, John Rennie. John, thanks again for taking time out to uh, to talk to us today. This is awesome. So yeah, the submarine, I, I grew up reading, you know, the John Clancy or the, yeah, the Clancy books, Tom Clancy, um, all about the submarines and everything like that. You're right. The cat and mouse games. You're down there, pitch black. You don't have windshields where you're looking out so you can see what's going on, right? Just you're in this big pressurized metal tube, thousands of feet under the water. That's That's got to be scary. Yeah, I don't know if it's scary so much as it's um it it's monotonous for sure. You know, you it's like I tell people it's like going to work one day and then locking the doors for three months and no one can go home. So you're stuck with the same group of people uh in the same environment that doesn't change. So mm-hmm. night or day, you can't tell the difference. Um, we used to be able to tell what time of day it was based on what they were serving, you know, <laughs> uh for a meal, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, well, it's eggs, so it must be morning, you know. <laughs> so we ate every six hours. And um, and so it was six noon 
uh, you know, 1800 and 2400. So we would eat every six hours. And, and based on the meal, you knew what time of day it was, but it was a very uh, surreal existence. Um, unless you really thought about it too much, it really wasn't too scary. But, you know, every once in a while, you'd be laying in your rack and you're thinking, well, look, there's a nuclear weapon at my toes. There's a nuclear weapon at my head. Um, there's a nuclear reactor in the back. And it's a bunch of 19 year old kids running this thing. Wow. So, you know, and you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, you know, underneath the ocean somewhere, you know, with no other assets around. Right. So it's a very unique experience for sure. Wow. How long did it take to get acclimated to that? Yeah, I would say probably my third patrol, it became normal. But the first patrol, you know, you're just, uh, they call us, they call you a nub. You're a non-useful body. And that's pretty <laughs> much what you were. You were trying to find where the bathroom is, where the coffee is, and, and trying to do your best to contribute to the, to the, uh, to the crew uh, without getting in the way. And, and that's, and it's, it's very awkward. It's very hard. It takes a lot to learn, uh, learn how to operate a submarine from stem to stern, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. So that first patrol is awkward. The second one gets better at the third. You're pretty much, you're a, you're an old vet and you kind of know where you're going and what, what you're supposed to do. Wow. So, and yeah. what was your specific uh, task or job? So I started as the reactor uh, controls officer. So I was responsible for all of the the uh, electronics that that um, kind of that you measured and operated the reactor with. And then I moved on to the machinery division officer. So I had all the mechanical equipment in the engine room. And then my last couple of patrols, I was the strategic missile officer. So I had the the 24 nukes was my responsibility wow. and all the systems that went, went along with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm in my 20s. Right. Yeah. So you, you have all this experience. Uh, of leading people doing very difficult things at a very young age. So it's yeah. a it's a really unique place to learn leadership because it's a 24-7 business. You know, they lock the doors, nobody goes home. You can't go home if you had a bad day and have a beer. You can't kick right. up your feet and you know on the weekends and kind of recharge. It's it's 24-7. Yeah. And it's um, yeah, it's a really interesting experience. Certainly um one that really helps you for the business world because I think there's yeah. uh uh, there's a lot of lessons that were that I learned there that applied directly into what I was doing running businesses in corporate America. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't yeah. just take a walk around the, the building, right, to cool down or something like that. No, there's none yeah, of that. Yeah, well, yeah. you can't open a window either. So they <laughs> frown upon that. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, talk about that transition then, all the lessons you learned there. How did those apply to the jobs uh, on, the, on the outside? Because you went into a manufacturing type environment, right? Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I started off as, you know, I have an engineering degree, I have a mechanical engineering degree. So I kind of came out um, and, and I went into design engineering, of which I, when I started out as an individual contributor working on big R&D projects. And um, I would say the transition early on was like, I have no skills for doing this job, right? I've been, I've been you know, I've been running, uh, leading people on a nuclear submarine under the ocean for five years. And then I now I had a cubicle and I had a project schedule, and uh, and 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 what I, one of the things was that the pace of uh, corporate life was so much slower than Navy yeah. life, and it was like I I was like, let's go, let's go. What are we doing? You know, why is it taking so long? And I I found myself really struggling to to uh, uh, to adopt the pace of of corporate life. And, um, and I would say this, like many veterans, I struggled to realize what I wanted to do with my life. Like I, you know, like I achieved my childhood dream in my twenties. So yeah. what's, what do you do for an encore? Like, I've got a lot more living to do. What am I going to do? Right. And, and it actually took me 
Uh, I got my first manufacturing plant at 32 years old. I was asked to lead a manufacturing operation. It was highly technical product of which I had some experience with. Um, and then, uh, but it wasn't until my second manufacturing plant, which is probably seven years after I was out of the military, that I finally found my my next passion, which was turning around struggling manufacturing businesses. I realized that, um, you know, the, 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 just the, the type of leadership I had, the experience I had on the submarine was about leading, uh, leading people doing difficult things. And I found that turning around struggling manufacturing businesses was that I found sort of the same type of uh, uh, challenge, uh, excitement, um, fulfillment in that. So that became my passion. And that's what I'm still doing today is is turning around. Well, now I started my own business seven years ago. So this isn't really turning around a struggling manufacturing business, but it's starting one from scratch. So again, it's a very difficult thing with very complicated technical products and doing something that's really challenging. So I think that's where I, uh, it took me a while, but eventually I found my groove in manufacturing and turning around manufacturing businesses. Very cool. And so the ones that you were helping turn around, what were they struggling with? What what were they missing? Was it the foundational type things? Did the the uh, processes, policies, procedures, what was it that they were missing? Yeah, it, it was a mix of a lot of different things. Some of it was uh, the wrong product. Some some of it was was pricing. Some of it was cost. Some of it was quality. Some of it was a safety. But in general, what I found was it was a lack of leadership at some mm-hmm. point in time in their history where things were lo- allowed to slide and things were not um, maintained well. And the other part of it I found is that uh, most of the places I went to, uh, the leaders had never tapped into the capability of the people on the shop floor. They just sort of were, you do your job, I'll tell you what to do. And then if, you know, uh, if I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. That was the attitude. <laughs> and so right. when I came in and said, you know what, the best ideas are going to come from the people that are doing the job. Yeah. It was a total shift in the way we did thinking. So, I mean, my my expertise, if you will, or the thing that I did that made made these businesses so successful, which was using the collective wisdom of the entire team to be able to use that to be able to fix the problems and to grow the business, uh, both on the top line and the bottom line. Nice. Yeah, that's one of the types of courage we talk about is that intellectual courage, where as a, as a leader, a lot of times you have to set aside your long-held beliefs, the knowledge you have to make room for new knowledge, because a lot of it will come from your subordinates. And you have to be comfortable enough to say, I don't know the answer. Yeah. You know, you do this every day. How can we fix this? You know, it was a real struggle for me when I first got my first manufacturing plant because I didn't know how a manufacturing plant manager should operate. Like I hadn't been in the role, right? Um, and so I thought, you know, you had to have all the answers. You were the, you know, the big guy in the corner office with all right. with every with all the knowledge. And I think I tried to operate that way for about a year. And then I yeah. realized, like, wait a second, like. The people around here have been here a lot longer than me. They know the products better. They know, they know the problems better, uh, and they know how to fix the problems. And all I have to do is, is I don't have to have all the answers, but I have to have the right questions and have the willingness to shut up and listen. And, I, and when I figured that out, that was the magic pill. That was nice. what what it took to really uh, take the, these businesses to the next level. Nice. Yeah, and that's like I said, that's that's a tough thing to do. But you you open it up, you almost make it a game. If we wanted to improve your area by X, how could we do that? Mm. And you let them kind of stew on a little bit and they'll come up with all kinds of ideas. Some of them are viable, some aren't, but yeah. at least they're thinking, you know, and get them in that entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. You know, how can we improve this? What would you do if you were running this business? What would you do? And a lot of times they'll surprise you. They come up with some amazing things. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. They always will surprise you. They'll always do more than you expect and they have better ideas than you'll ever have. It's, it's always been, that's what I've found. I've, I led eight different manufacturing businesses during my corporate time and this is my ninth one. So in all that time, I've realized that I am the person with the least amount of ideas. <laughs> the, the, the people that are doing the work and been thinking about it for years, I, I just have to, you have to listen to them. And guess what? Some of the ideas are crazy and they don't make any sense and they're never going to be viable. But, but there's a lot of great nuggets of wisdom in there. And so you have to be willing to listen to listening to those ideas and sort of sort out what makes sense. And uh, and then, you know, and people say, well, you're not much of a leader if you're all you're doing is listening to people. But you, but you are listening to people and you're getting the best ideas. Sure. And then at some point, the leader makes the decision, puts the rudder in the water and steers the, the ship yeah. in a certain direction. And that's what we do. And that's what I found to be successful. So, you know, yes, you got to be humble. Yes, you got to listen, but then eventually you got to make a decision yeah. and you got to say, this is the way we're moving forward. Follow me. Absolutely. Yeah. Once that decision's made, everybody get behind it. Let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So peak demand. Yeah. What do you guys do? You make components for electrical utilities. Yes, so uh, we're manu we manufacture a lot of the devices that are on the distribution side of uh, of electric utilities. So we're making uh, transformers and switches and what they call fuse cutouts. So protective devices, measuring devices on the secondary side uh, of the uh, of the utility. So lower voltages. Uh, so. Uh, products uh, go up to 27,000 volts and down to 600 volts. So we're on the low end of, of the uh, utility scale. So, um, and we purposely chose that because that's where there's the least amount of risk for a new company coming into a business like this. Because uh, one thing I found is our customers are very conservative. Nobody wants the power to go out. So they want to make sure that uh, if you're a new company, you want to be on the lower end. So if something goes wrong, one customer is lost and not 15,000. So we started on the low end first and we're growing into in different voltage classes to where we're getting to some of the bigger stuff now. Nice. And how many folks do you have working for you? We're small. We, uh, we're 10 people today and uh, we are mostly engineers. Uh, okay. We work both in the office and in the shop. So we, we, uh, we have, we have a few people that are dedicated to the shop now, but, um, but we work in both areas. So we all uh, work uh, we all have collateral duties, uh, which is kind of fun as a small startup company is like sure. we, we, uh, you know, like, like one of my employees who's kind of one of the best on, on the line, he's actually does all the quotations. So he'll come, he'll come off the line, do all the quotes and he'll head back to the line. So, but we all kind of do it that way. It's a, um, kind of a fun environment to work in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Good stuff. Um, so tell me about your book, your first book. I have the watch. How did that yeah, come about? So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, um, I've been, I was writing for about uh, prior to writing that writing that book, I, I had been writing on various um, websites, my own blog on leadership issues, and and it was because it became uh, I, I realized probably about ten years ago that the leadership style that I had and that I used effectively was sort of different than than my peers in corporate, and a lot of that had to do with my background in the, on the submarine. So uh, I decided, well, you know what. I've got all this content. Maybe I should try to put that into something that's a little more, you know, like a package, like a book where somebody could read it. And uh, I hired a uh, writing coach to kind of help me through the process. And I had um, the second book is actually called All in the Same Boat. And I had, but I've written about half of that book. And I went to find this writing coach. And he's funny. He said, don't write this book. And I was like, well, that's not why I hired you. He said, <laughs> right. he said, write another book first. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, write about 
uh, you have so much that you've written, you know, over these past years, take that and uh, take the, you know, take some of that and let's put it into one book so you can learn how to write a book first. And then okay. your second book, you've, you're now an experienced author and, and it's a little bit easier. So, so the first book is really, um, there's these 22 uh, short stories uh, and, and basically lessons that I learned in the military nice. and then I applied and then the outcome of that. And so it's 22 short stories, really easy to, easy to read. But it turns out that's been my most popular book. So it was my practice book. And uh, and really people, have, it's resonated with a lot of people. It's a shorter, easier read. It's, you know, less than 200 pages. And people really like that book. Right. And uh, and so when I wrote the second book, I was already an author at that point. I was already a best-selling author. And, you know, we we, we hit number one on, you know, on Amazon. And, and it was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, all right, now I'm an author. You know, yeah. you're not, you know, it's funny because you're not, uh, you're a writer until you have a book and now you're an author, you know, and, and, um, and just like anything else, you know, you, you got to practice to get better. And for mm -hmm. me, the first book was sort of like a practice and, you know, just to see, okay, what is it like? And I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of veterans military veterans who'd written books and try yes. to pick their brain, what works, what doesn't work, what do I need to look out for? So I would say that book is a combination of a lot of me talking to a lot of people about what to do before I did it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And then all in the same boat. That's a lesson I think people need to learn. You know, a lot of times in business, you have your little factions, you have your cliques. Oh, yeah. this is us. So yeah. that's that department. We don't do things that way. It's like, we're all in this together, guys. Yeah, that that's the main theme of that book. And and that's one of the biggest things I saw in corporate, which were these fiefdoms just battling it out. And uh, whenever I came into a business, my goal was to eliminate the us and them wherever I found it and whenever it existed. Yeah. So we need to all be on the same mission. Uh, you know, in the military, it was easy, right? And on the on, on the submarine, it was easy. We carried out our mission and we got our we got everybody home safely. That was that's what we did, right? And we had to watch out for each other. There was no you can't can't call nine one one. We couldn't get on the radio and call another Navy asset. We were operating all alone, so we had to have each other's back. And yeah. so that's the attitude I came into business, which we have to have each other's back. The enemy is outside the four walls. It's not inside the four walls. And so I wouldn't tolerate any language to say, well, it's marketing's fault or it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, uh, if the guys would build it the way we designed it, it would work, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I'd said, no, we, we've got to work as a team. We all have an important role to do. We just have different jobs to do. And I think that's, that's a lot in that book, which is talking about how to build that unified team going towards a, um, uh, a goal that everybody agrees and, and sees that it's important. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that drives me crazy is that's not my job. Oh, crazy. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Our job is to be successful and that's everybody's job. And if you see something that needs to be done, do it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I like about being an entrepreneur and having my own business is because I no longer am uh, constrained by the corporate way of doing things. Right. So because of what you just said, like, I don't really have, we don't really have job titles here because it's kind of hard to say, oh, we do just because, right. you know, we're interfacing with customers and say, well, talk to Lay, he's our head of engineering. Well, yeah, he's our lead engineer, but he could be whatever he wants to be as far right. as whatever title he wants to put on his, because he's doing, yeah, he's designing our, our products, but he's also, you know, testing our products on the shop floor some days, you know, so it's, yeah. we're, we're, we're doing multiple things. So uh, all towards achieving a goal that we're trying Absolutely. to get to. Yeah. Very nice. And then the final book or the most recent, you have the watch. 
Yeah, that that's a little bit of a different book. One of the things I've, uh, the feedback I got from my first book was that this is like a daily reader. I can read this every day as sort of something to start my day because each of the 22 chapters are short enough where it could be like a, you know, something I can read and reflect on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what, what if I built a book that just does that? And so You Have the Watch is a guided journal, and it's meant to take you through an entire year. So mm-hmm. it's meant to be on your desk for an entire year. Every week, we, we we touch on a different theme, and every day, we teach on a different facet of that theme. And so you have, you know, you sort of read and reflect, you kind of do those things that day, and you kind of write down your experiences through it. So it's a little bit more of an interactive type of book versus the other two books are more you know, sit down, read, learn type of thing. Yeah. Nice. Are you a journal kind of guy? Do you write journals? So I used to be, uh, I am not today. uh, Although I I haven't, it's not here, but I have an idea book I always keep. And it's sort of like whenever I get a brainstorm, like, oh, I got to do that. I have an idea book, (laughs) but uh, I don't journal as much as I used to. So yeah, my wife journals constantly and you can see the progression of her career and, and things through that. I sit down, I journal for a month or so, and then I kind of lose interest in it and set it aside. But I know it's so important, especially when you have, like I said, the, uh, a book like yours, right? Where you can read something, get that inspiration. What does that mean? How can I put this to use? Kind of jot it all down and stuff. I like that. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the hope is that, you know, every every week or so you get an aha moment, you know, and that's that's the whole point. You know, a lot of times you you watch a YouTube video or you read a book or you listen to a audible book, you get a you get a burst of inspiration and then mm-hmm. it sort of gets goes away. So the point of that book was meant to be here. Let's not have a burst. Let's have like a continuous flow of information over over a period of a year. And I've had a lot of people that go through it and they really like it. I, they'll still send me pictures of the book on their desk. You know, I'm on day 30 or day whatever. And it's like, cool, that's good. You that's know? awesome. So it's Very good that people are sticking with it too. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did your podcast come about? Deep Leadership. Well, I mentioned I've been writing, you know, long form, eh, long form, 2000 word, you know, uh, uh, articles on leadership for a long time. And what I noticed is a declining readership in in those kind of articles, uh, you know, too much didn't read or what do they call it? Too long right. didn't read or whatever. Right. Too long uh, didn't read. Yep. Yeah. So so I, I, I got I got the point where I've seen not a lot of people reading long form articles like that. They wanted the, you know, the tweet, which was, you know, short, you know, two sentences and that they got, got it. So, um, and the other thing I saw was that, that, that podcasts, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. So to me, that was a way where you could be doing something else like driving, working mm-hmm. out, cutting your lawn and actually do, and, and actually have, you know, being, you can be educated at the same time. So I didn't know anything about podcasting. So I just bought a microphone and, and, and started and, uh, and grew it from there. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun and it's been, um, it's it's been a, a great journey because I've met so many cool people through sure. the whole process. Yeah, that that's been that's been a great uh, that's been the best part of it is like it's like I'm getting a, an MBA like every month or so <laughs> when I'm meeting all these great people. So oh yeah, and, and the stories like I said, I, I learned something from everybody that I have on the podcast. You know, some of the stories yeah. are just amazing. Um, so leadership. What do you look for in a leader? So for me, at least, I'm looking for number one is grit. That's something I mentioned earlier on. That's something that's really important to me. And grit is a passion uh, and perseverance for long-term goals. So you're so passionate about something that you care deeply about that you'll go go through. You'll you'll climb any wall, go you know, get around any obstacle just to get to your to your uh, to your objectives. And so I'm looking for leaders that have had some sort of they've demonstrated grit in their life. They've overcome some difficulty. 
Uh, I want to see that. That's really important to me because especially as an entrepreneur, uh, life comes at you hard and you need to have people that are are not going to shrink when things get difficult. Yeah. Did you have somebody in your past, a, a leader, a mentor, somebody that you kind of, that emulated that for you, showed you what that was like? Uh I don't think necessarily I had someone like that that emulated, but I certainly have leaders in my life that uh, that definitely inspired me to or or helped show me the importance of leadership and why leadership is it, it, why it matters uh, in for for uh, I mean basically anytime you have an organization with a bunch of people right with all these different unique emotions and and uh, uh, histories and you know diverse backgrounds, you you need someone that's going to be able to connect with those people and get the most out of them towards a goal. So I think for me, at least I had a, uh, I had someone who I got to see really understood that leadership is a people business. And he treated me in a way that I was like, that's the way I want to be as nice. a leader. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've talked to some people that say, yeah, I learned how to be a leader from this person. Yeah. And I had to unlearn everything, you know, because they were <laughs> old school, right? Yes. Yeah. I used to work at an aircraft manufacturing company in California. And they'd, the guys would crawl across the table and scream and point their finger and grab somebody by the lapels and scream at them. It's like, I thought that's what management and leadership was. Yeah. Like, man, nothing could be further from the truth, right? Our job as leaders is to create more leaders. How yeah. do you get the best out of the people that you have working for you? And a lot of times Absolutely. it's having those, those deep conversations and opening yourself up and say, Hey, how can we do this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, so what about you? If I was to bump into any of your current employees or former uh, sailors that worked under you and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they say? What kind of leader are you? Well, I think probably I fit a mold of what the, what they call a transformational leader. So someone that sees, uh, you know, comes into a place that's a that status quo and I see where it could be and I help lead them towards a, a new uh, a new future. So I think that's one of the things I've, I've been really good at is sort of putting together like, okay, assessing where we're at, finding out what's working, what's not working, and then being able to set a vision for the future of where we want to go and then transforming the team, the people, the attitudes, the mindsets towards that objective. So transformation is probably the best description of me. And it's funny because I've always associated myself with servant leadership because mm -hmm. I thought, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I care deeply for the people and, and what have you, but, but um, servant leadership is just part of transformational leadership. So transformational leadership says it is the people and the mission. And I think that's that's the difference. Whereas a servant leader may be all more about people versus people and you know the and is kind of missing. So I, I I would say I would fit in that and category. For example, I'm willing to let somebody go if it doesn't fit, if if that person doesn't fit within the direction we're heading. And so maybe a servant leader would give that person more chances than, than I would necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm looking out for the overall picture of of like of of my entire team, and right. does this puzzle piece fit within the puzzle? And if it doesn't, I, I'm going to respect that individual and say mm -hmm. your your puzzle piece fits in someone else's puzzle right now, and it doesn't right. quite fit into our puzzle. And so that's that's maybe a little different from maybe someone who might be truly like a servant here. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to hold on to that employee too long right? If they're not serving the company, if they're not doing what they need, 
if they're not in a place, you know, uh, Jim Collins talks about having the right person in the right seat yeah. doing the yeah. right job at the right time. If if they're not, if they're a creative person, a hands-on person, and you've got them doing accounting, yeah, it's not good for them. It's probably not good for your company at all. You can't just keep that person on because you like them. There's a lot of people I like, but you know, if it, if they're not serving the company, it's certainly not serving them. It's best to let them go. I think that's the the right thing to do. You you talk about you know serving them. It's not it's not right to keep them around if they're not if they're not at their peak performance. If they're not doing everything that they like to do, they're certainly not helping the company. Yeah, and I think our job is to is is to recognize that that's the one thing we do as leaders. We make personnel decisions in terms of yeah. like who comes on the team, who goes off the team. And I think the, the people what they know when someone's not a good fit, and they're kind of sure. looking to you like, "We're going to do about it." Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and if you don't do you anything that about person, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. As it long hurts, as you keep that hurts. person around, yeah, they get so, the idea. Oh, I don't have to work as hard because that person doesn't. Correct. You know, you start getting that scary. Yes. Um, let's talk about courage. Mm -hmm. Where did you find your courage? Where did that courage come from? To decide from an early age, this is what I want to do. Work as hard as you had to work to actually get there and do that. As, as I mean, just the thought of being that far underwater in this little <sighs> pressurized metal tube and, and things like that. The, the pressure at the depths you guys are at are just... Uh, unfathomable pun intended where did you find the where did you find the courage i would say it came from my two grandfathers i i uh, my grand both my grandfathers served in world war ii and um i grew up in manchester new hampshire and it was like it's like a blue collar town that like nobody leaves you know you're, you're born there you raise mm -hmm. a family there you die there that's and my but my grandparents were born there my parents were born there i was born there i probably was going to die there uh, but my grandfather is both serving World War II. And I guess I was that curious kid that was just like listening to their stories of life outside of Manchester, you know, mm -hmm. and all the things that they did. And um, I imagined what it would be like to do what they did. So um, I remember going to my guidance counselor in high school and I said, I want to be a submarine officer. How do I do that? And she just looked at me like, <laughs> who says that? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you know, and 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 to her credit, she tried to figure it out. Like, I don't know, let's figure it out together. And and um, so I remember, you know, they said you got to you got to have math and science. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to work on that in high school. You got to go to engineering school. You got to get into a good engineering school. Well, nobody in my family had gone to college, mm. right? And let alone engineering school. So, like, mm. what kind of engineer do you want to be? I don't know. What are they? I didn't know any of this stuff. So it's yeah. really interesting that um, to get to be a submarine officer, there were so many obstacles in my way to be able to do it that I had no, I had no, I had no business even trying to do, right? I, I was not qualified to, 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 I was not of that caliber. So uh, I think for my whole life, it's been obstacles that I had to try to overcome. And I sort of, that's where I've developed grit over the years is just like, okay, well, this is another obstacle. I have a dream. I have a passion. I, I want to be somewhere. I'm just going to have to, this is just an obstacle that I have to get through to get yeah. to my dream. And I sort of, that's be, was sort of like the story of my life up until, well, now, you know, then I have a degree and I have a couple, you know, I got an engineering degree and a couple of master's degrees. Now I'm working on a PhD. So now, now, okay, now I kind of belong here, but I did not belong there back in the day. So for sure, I was just, just wow. through sheer effort trying to get through. That is awesome. And then starting your own company, that takes courage too. 
It really does. Um, people dream of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And then when you get into it, you realize how difficult it is. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. So if we've been, we were in business last week, we got, we were at seven years in business. So we're, we, we're here, we're, we're still running, we're still growing, um, but it's a lot of work. I would say, you know, when we first started the company, uh, we weren't even a year old yet and a major company sued us uh, trying to say that we stole intellectual property, that we, um, that we were stealing their employees and uh and it was all a uh, uh, it was a scare tactic to try to yeah. shut us down yeah. and, and and we we prevailed through it but that happened and then our major uh investment partner uh about two years ago decided he was done with the whole ah i want to go do something else uh he was bored and wanted to go do something else and so we we you know we purchased the company away from him and we sort of kept going so you know, you're going to face some trials that you, as an entrepreneur, that you'll never, uh, you'll never experience in your life. And I'm so glad I'm doing it because it's, and I'm so glad I have that background of, of perseverance because this is, this is really, uh, this is a difficult thing to do. So. But having that vision and the grit to, to push on. Yeah. And that's, that's why grit's so important to me because I think it's all about passion and perseverance towards long-term goals and, uh, and I just keep pushing through and it's, it's pretty much after a while, you feel like nothing can stop you. You just, you don't even, <laughs> you just don't even react anymore. When something happens, you're like, all right, how do I get through this? <laughs> so very cool. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. So what's next? Do you have another book in the works? Well, um, no, I don't. I'm actually taking a break from writing right now. I'm trying to work on my, I mentioned uh, I'm back to school, um, working on getting my doctorate in leadership, a strategic leadership. And so from there, um, I want to be able to do more teaching. So I do a lot of teaching at university level, high school level, where I come in and talk to um, you know, future leaders and, and what have you. But I'd like to do more of that, more teaching and more um, getting opportunities to speak. Uh, so, and again, it's all part-time, you know, my, my main job is my manufacturing business, all that, yeah. all the leadership stuff I do is part-time, but certainly going, uh, it had been 20 years since I was in school. So kind of going back to school for this, uh, doctorate has been, uh, kind of, that's taken up a lot of time. It's a big challenge, but wow, what an, what an opportunity to get exposed to the research behind all of these yeah. things that we know make sense, just being able to access that, all that research and all those um, studies that have been done. It's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Very cool. Good stuff. So if people want to get in touch with you or follow you, learn more about you, how can they do that? What's your website? Yeah, everything is at johnsrenny.com. Okay. And that's got my podcast, my books, uh, lots of articles on there. Um, yeah. And so anything you want to know about me, it's, uh, it's johnsrenny.com. Very cool. And your books are available off your website. Are they also on like Amazon, stuff like that? Yeah, wherever great books are sold, but uh, we sell a lot on Amazon. Very good. And are you active on LinkedIn? I am. Yeah, I I tend to be very active on Twitter. um, And uh, I but I also do a lot on on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Okay. And LinkedIn. Perfect. All right. I will make sure that I have those links down in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you. Uh, Get your books. Um, cause I think they're, they're awesome. Very cool. Um, thanks so much, John, for taking the time out to, to speak with us. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Harlan. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this has been great. All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes, good information here. Definitely check out johnsrenny.com. Check out the books and, uh, yeah, share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, make sure you put a review out on these episodes, uh, 
keep us in front of everybody's minds. The more reviews you get out there, the better the show goes. And we want that. We want to, we want to grow the show. Um, your podcast is available on all the podcast uh, outlets, yes. right? Deep yes. leadership. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And uh, make sure you check out the podcast. All right. And make sure you share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.